Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host, focusing on a tertiary market that you know incredibly well can pay great dividends. You eliminate a lot of risks when you're that familiar with a market and the buildings in it. Tertiary markets historically have also had less competition in acquiring commercial real estate. Bob Couture, managing partner and broker at CP Group, lives in Hermosa Beach, California, but syndicates in Springfield, Massachusetts, where he grew up and has great contacts. So today we have with us a gentleman who is a bi-coastal guy, very interesting background, including doing service in our military at a fairly high level, done a lot of different interesting things, worked at big Fortune 500 companies, so really brings an incredible amount of experience and perspective to bear upon the real estate business, which he is doing uh, solely now. He is the managing partner and broker of CP Group. He's also a partner in Ironside Property, Ironside's Property Group has units himself, a lot of different things. He is Bob Couture. Bob, welcome to Street Smart Success. Roger, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with you this morning. Yes, thank you very much. And uh, you're down there at the uh, southern part of the state. I'm up north. Bob, so you're bi-coastal. You have uh, interest in Springfield, Mass. And and I know you're down there in Hermosa Beach. Where did the Bob story start? Where, Where are you from? I'm from West Springfield, Massachusetts. Got it. So that explains that. My, my parents still live in that uh, in that area. I've got a sister there and another sister at the Cape. So for me to um, be here in Hermosa is great. And then having property back in, uh, on the East Coast and business over there gives me that uh, the flexibility to enjoy the California weather, but then go back and check on property, the, the staff, and, and and most importantly, my parents. Obviously a nice man. Uh, not everybody would have said exactly that the way you said it, uh, but you are clearly a nice guy. Out of uh, high school, did you get into the military or was it later? My dad sure wanted me to get into the military well before high school. Um, <laughs> I was resistant to that and it, it took a... a it took, truth be told, took me getting suspended from college to get into the military. So I can't, I can't sit here and say I, uh, it was very uh, a patriotic decision. It was more <laughs> of one. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I'm, I was certainly honored to to serve, and it did me a world of good. And I, I came back to school with um, a a very intense focus, uh, some discipline as much discipline as a college kid could have. And then, uh, uh, so it was, it was a great, it was a great thing. It was a life-changing experience for me. And, and it seemed like the worst thing possible that could happen, but I always say some of the worst things that happen, something equally as good, if not better, come out of it. I'm just laughing because uh, I've heard that, uh, and, and I'm not saying this uh, applies to you because you clearly, sounds like you really your life changed through your experience in the military but it reminds me of the saying that 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 real estate employs the unemployable um (laughs) well said said. (laughs) guilty as charged yeah right ditto (laughs) well so i have to ask the question where did you go to college and why did you get suspended Uh, i went to northeastern university and it was a 
dispute with a former roommate and uh, I just wasn't fast enough to get away from the campus police. <laughs> oh, that is very, very, very amusing. Um, well, I, I didn't have that exact experience, but, uh, you know, I'd be lying to say that I didn't spend a, a, an evening in jail and in college. And um, that's for another podcast. But uh, <laughs> I, look, I would have been kicked out of the military in five minutes. Um, so I was not that way too cocky and, you know, I'd, whatever. So you served overseas, correct? I did. I, I was a mem- member of the California Army National Guard. So weekend warrior, one weekend a month, two weeks a year. That uh, quickly became several deployments overseas. Uh Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Wow. Uh, And what did you do exactly? Uh, Kuwait was a peacekeeping mission. uh, So we were guarding Patriot missile batteries. Uh, Iraq, I was an infantry officer, uh, platoon leader. So we were kicking down doors, hunting bad guys. And then uh, Afghanistan was, I I had transitioned from military, uh, infantry officer, to military intelligence officer. And I deployed with a unit here in Manhattan Beach to Afghanistan. And I was their military intelligence officer, their S2 intel officer. Wow, man, geez. So uh, Iraq and Afghanistan in particular, uh, it sounds like you were in the mix. Yeah, Iraq, uh, for sure, that that was a a challenging deployment um, in a lot of regards incredibly exciting and exhilarating and feeling like we were doing some really great stuff, uh, not to minimize the service in, in Afghanistan, but as a intel officer, I didn't have to go to the field if I didn't want to. But there was that infantry officer in me that wanted to get out there, see what the guys were going through to be able to better serve them with uh, uh, intelligence reports. In, in your duty in Iraq, were you in any situations where you were scared for your life? Yes, several, and, and we lost some some, some soldiers there, um, and uh, so that that was that part was tough and yeah, quite scary. Um, and the uh, but the I had a great platoon, and and they they performed admirably, and, and it could have been a lot lot worse. How did the experience in in Iraq, in particular, I guess, um, you know, form your form who you are now, who you've become? Actually, it was Afghanistan that helped really form me because I felt like I I had some unfinished business, and um, so that Iraq left left me kind of heavy and uh, just I, I needed to kind of recover from that and. And in doing so, I, I needed to have a, a, a strong deployment and, and Afghanistan provided me that. And, and that was, it just makes things, I'll put it this way. I, I had a, a friend in real estate who said, if, if, you ha- if, if your problems are giving you some trouble, go find bigger problems. And what I, what I found with the military experiences, it's hard to find bigger problems than that. So it's helped me kind of uh, keep an even keel, keep my head the best I can through, through my real estate problems. Okay. Wow. Well, uh, and, and, and I'm assuming by the way, when you said Iraq kind of left you heavy, you're talking figuratively. 
Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I I couldn't keep any weight on over there, like a hundred degree. I was eating ice cream every day, and I I was losing weight. All right, I I assume, I'm not trying to be amusing in that in that regard. I assume, <laughs> I, I assumed, but I just want to be uber uber uh, clear. How did you wind up from all that getting into the real estate business? And I know there were some stops along the way, but go go ahead. Sure, sure. So uh, I ended up in grad school uh, in at Loyola, and um, I started at University of San Francisco. Um, and I transferred through the Jesuit transfer program to Loyola Marymount. So I ended up in LA. Uh, once I, uh, and that's where I met my wife um, in grad school. And then I got a job with uh, Northrop Grumman, uh, aerospace and defense company. So that was, it was a wonderful job as I was starting a family. It was a very secure uh, nine to five, um, wonderful company. But then, then I got deployed and and then I, I was essentially gone for I, I came back but I had I was still on military orders to do uh, some recruiting for the National Guard here in the state and then I deployed again and then so I was away from the company for uh, probably four years uh, and when I got back they were a different company I was a different person and and I had so much um, I, I made I was a platoon leader in Iraq. I was a, a uh, intel officer in um, Afghanistan, and then I come to to Northrop, and I'm just this little cog in the machine, and that was troubling for me. And I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Where everyone on my father's side had their own businesses, um, and they were you know some construction related, either carpenters or painters, um, and. So real estate, in a sense, at least on the service side, was in my blood. And then my on my wife's side, my father-in-law is in commercial real estate. So everyone kept telling me, you got to get into real estate, you got to get into real estate. And in Bob's ears, I was hearing real estate agent. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. And then I said, as I started thinking about this more, I had some, some money saved up from the deployment. I had some money from Northrop. And I decided I, uh, I was just going to leave. Northrop and I was going to start house flipping. I burned all the boats. I, I mean, I didn't burn the bridge with them. It was it was done professionally, and I just uh, uh, gave gave notice and and I was leaving. And um, but I didn't have anything else other than go out there and try to flip houses. And that's how how real estate began for me. And and that and when I looked at the money that I had. I didn't think I could get it done in the Los Angeles market, but I knew I could get it done in the Springfield market. And my dad was semi-retired, so it was. I had a built-in mentor. Um, I thought I'd have a lot of his connections, but um, <laughs> no, uh, those guys were retiring, so uh, I had to kind of build up uh, new. And thank goodness for some of them had uh, sons that were taking over the businesses and, and uh, on the construction side. So. It was great, and then, and then it gave me that that opportunity to um, connect with my family, um, and my wife was fine with it. We talked a lot about should we move back east, and she's from Russia, and she's like, "I know cold. Uh, you can travel as much as you want. Um, I, I, I'd like to stay here." And I, I respect that, and, and actually, it's been a great, great decision. And I'm glad she kind of put her foot down on that. And, um, there's times we travel to, as a family in the summer to, to be there so I can do some work and and and, and they can connect um, the, you know, grandma and grandpa can connect with the grandkids 
I'm actually going in about three weeks to Massachusetts and I'm t- taking my oldest daughter. She's 14. This is going to be the, her first trip kind of away. And, um, and then to get, hang out with her cousin and her grandparents. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing for me. And as I always look at this, as I, I continue to so real, why am I doing my big, why is, um, to create a lifestyle that I can remain connected to my family, uh, and not have to deal with winters, drive to snow and drive away when I'm done. Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. What role did your dad, you said your dad had been retired, uh, but yet he was part of what you were doing in Springfield. So I guess what role did he play and what exactly did you do? So did you, do you, you ended up just uh, initially just flipping houses and did you do that for a number of years or so what did that exactly look like? Yeah, the first house, I bought, so dad was on the ground over there. And so if I, if I couldn't find, if I couldn't source a, a uh, an acquisition while I was there, my father would go look at the properties uh, on my behalf. Um, I remember the first one that we bought, he went to go see and he called me. I was on the firing range at, at uh, Camp Roberts in California and, um, and my dad had left me a message. And then when I was done uh, qualifying, I, I called him and he says, I just saw this great house. You've got to put in an offer on it. And uh, so I scrambled to do an offer uh, on the phone or with my phone and and get that out. So he was, yeah, he was helping source houses. He was, uh, um, he's an interior, exterior painter and, and carpenter. So he helped on on some of some of that, uh, not on the first house, but on the second house he did. And the reason, the reason is I used a self-directed IRA for the first house and he was a disqualified person to, to do any kind of work on it. So he kind of managed and, and looked after the, the contractors um, and then just, just looked to keep me out of trouble. Uh, his, all his experience came into play and in so many different things. Um, but like I, I said before, is he was semi-retired and for me to really kind of build a business, I, I had to scale and, and uh, I, I didn't want to burn him out and, and uh, and so I, I then ended up partnering with a, a gentleman in that area, and we had a house flipping business for a good number of years, and and uh, that that was good for for the interim until where we kind of came to a crossroads where, in my mind, house flipping was going to be a job forever, and that was not a means to build generational wealth. And I wanted to get into um, multifamily, and and I was we were starting to see some of the reasons for that as we were f- um, holding some of our flips uh, on the, like two family and three families. Got it. What what were the years uh, that you were flipping houses, and and how many roughly do you think you you flipped? Uh, the years were 
on my own or with my dad was 2013, partnered in 2014. Uh, and that was about five years, six years of flipping houses. So 2013 to 2019. Got it. And how many you think are roughly? I put us on, uh, uh, we were doing about 10, 12 a year. So somewhere between 50 and 70 houses. Got it. And do you still own any of them? No, I've pyramided pyramided up with those. Um, uh, uh, kind of funny story, if I could back up a, a little bit. Um, I had never wanted to deal with tenants and toilets, but my first two flips did not flip. And so I had to make those rentals. And when the mailbox money was coming in, I'm like, well, this isn't so bad. And then I started to understand that a little bit more. And and then that's when we started you know, grabbing some duplexes and, and three families and, and the like. Um, uh, I started to sell those off and 1031 those into bigger properties. So probably my my last had my last five single families I did an exchange with a guy that wanted to do he wanted to ha, he had multifamilies he had thirty three units and I had five uh, single families and we did a ten thirty one exchange to each other uh, on those so I instead of bringing like two hundred fifty thousand dollars to the closing table I brought eight. And, uh, and then he got single families, I got multifamilies, and we both left happy. Got it, so you got 33 units. Yeah. And, yeah. and then how many buildings was that? That was three buildings. I see, and when was that? 2019. Okay, so that's okay. And then, so you got, so Ironsides, I'm assuming, Ironsides Property Group is managing those? Yes, yes. And you're a partner in that. And, and so how many partners are there? In Ironsides, there's just two partners. Uh, and the, that was created primarily to manage our personal properties and syndications. So we, we were doing syndicate, we are doing syndications uh, there. And um, Ironsides manages most of those, or all of those in the Springfield area. We've got some stuff in Maine and, and West Hartford, Connecticut uh, that uh, Ironsides manages West Hartford, but the main stuff is managed by a third-party management company. I see. So tell me about the syndications. Like, what's the scope there? Like, how, how big are the properties and, you know, vintage and how many partners you bring into these deals and what's what what's the tenor of that? Yeah. Before the syndications, we, we did a four-family. We bought a four a four family house that needed ton of work. There was like only one unit of there that was actually habitable and, and barely. Um, so we brought that back to life and just to see if it was a test to the, the partnership. So it was my partner from the house flipping and, and then the partner who brought in the, uh, the syndication model. Uh, his dad had been doing syndications for 40 years and he wanted to exercise that model. He wanted to do it in Maine, but he didn't have the resources in Maine. We had the construction and, and area knowledge uh, in Springfield. So um, it, it was a, the, the partnership made sense. So we wanted to test that out with a four families, see how we work together. And then we went on to, uh, then we bought a eight unit uh, to manage that, kind of get, get, get a feel there. And then, so we had started to develop a little bit of a track record on management. And then we did our first syndication, which was a 12 unit building needed. It was big value add play, 
you know, low rents, ton of capital, it's better deferred maintenance. We got that going and then, and then quickly started to move. And then we went to a 20 unit, uh, and then, and then from there, a 52 unit, every time we seem to be doubling up on unit size, the 52 unit, uh, 77, uh, there was a couple of small ones in between and then a commercial building, which was a sports center in Maine, a mixed use building in Old Orchard Beach. And lastly was a, a really nice building, a 24 unit in West Hartford, Connecticut. And we've been trying to get in West Hartford, Connecticut for probably five years now and have a great relationship with a broker over there. And and we were we were we were on the short list of, of those that to, to view it and and we made a good run for it, and uh, and, and it's been incredibly exciting. The the uh, the fifty two and the seventy seven units. Where are those? Springfield. Okay. Are all of, are, other than the one in Old Orchard Beach in West Hartford? Are the uh, are the twelve and the twenty? Are those in Springfield as well? Springfield area. So in the same county, Hamden County, Chicopee, Holyoke, and Springfield, and West Springfield are where. Uh, our properties lie. I see. Okay. So, I mean, you know, you grew up there, you, you know, your contacts are there. And then what vintage are these? Are these, you know, 60s, 70s, uh, earlier? I mean, and are they all pretty much full tilt, you know, big value ad plays or, you know, what's the kind of, what's the gist of what you're doing? So New England is old and cold. So it is, uh, these are, are early 1900 buildings, great deal of value add. We've done a lot of heating systems. We've done a lot of roofs, so a lot of brick repointing, parapet repair, um, porches become a big thing. Deleting in Massachusetts is huge. I think now the, the big thing is that uh, municipalities are looking to have you move the, um, the electric meters from the basements to the exterior of the building. Uh, so there's always some kind of uh, uh, pothole uh, for us to, to maneuver around, but it is a, it's a cash flowing market. So that really works well for our California investors that where it's mostly an appreciation play. And here we can, we can break out uh, some regular distributions um, when we get the property stabilized and, and that's been, that's been good for them. So just to give me, I'll just, I'll go for the biggest one for the heck of it. And just to get, I'm just trying to get my head around, uh, kind of scope on dollars. So the 77 unit deal, how much do you pay for that? And how much did you put in, or maybe you're still in the process, but how, how much do you pay? How much in CapEx? The 77 unit deal was, uh, right around the about five and a half to six million dollars. There was not much. Uh, well, no, I take that back. We we put on a new roof. Um, we've had to do some repairs to heating system or our conversion from oil to gas, but there wasn't. And then, and then just bring up the rents. The rents were uh, very, very low. It was a family that had owned it. They owned it outright. Uh, they were, uh, you know, 
their model was to uh, keep rents low and keep tenants there for as long as possible. And then we've uh, we went to either increase rents, bring those to market, redo some of the uh, redo the units as we go. And um, uh, it's been it's been a, a solid, solid performer. So in that one, sounds like it might not be as old as early 1900s, or or is it? Well, it is. It is. It's just the family had taken uh, really good care of it. They are one of the biggest owner groups in the area, and um, but it was old, but it's charming. And uh, kind of the the beautiful thing on this is the uh, when I my first house flipped. I had to drive by this apartment all the time. And it happens to be on the corner where there's a light. And every time I was stuck at that light, I was looking at the building. I'm like, that's such a beautiful building. And then, you know, you, you start to dream a little bit and you're like, no, someday I'm going to own that. And I just kind of said it out loud. And and then lo and behold, uh, fast forward a couple of years and, and and we do. And it was, uh, it was one of those things like, wow. It was one that was impressed in my brain. I love that building, and uh, was it was a magical day when uh, when we bought it. And when when did you close on it? That was just just ahead of COVID. I think it's January twenty twenty or February twenty twenty. Got it. And so, what were rents, and what are market rents? How much daylight was in there? Uh, rents were for a one bedroom somewhere around. 750 we're getting now a thousand fifty and then for the two bedrooms those were 950 and we're getting 1250 to 1300 and then you're saying you didn't need to put that much into the units per se to to get those rents correct wow did you have to put anything into the units or was it just systems and you know the heating transformation what did the capex look like i guess in in numbers roughly and i'm sorry to grill you on every single detail but that's what i do on street smart success <laughs> <laughs> no no problem no problem the uh so roof uh we were probably somewhere around that forty thousand, and that was for one of the buildings we had uh, uh i i can't not all the units were turned over similarly the same way because it's an older building. There's plaster. Some units, the plaster really like the, did not hold, or if it got some uh, some level of, of water damage, that it just crumble away or, or crack. So when we when we had those situations, those turnovers became much more expensive. Kind of ripping ripping that out, and if we had to do plumbing there, so. On a on a big turn, we were looking ten to twelve thousand. On on an easy turn, um, it was uh, uh, somewhere around three to five. I see. Okay. And then and then did uh, were you able? How did you deal with raising rents for people that weren't moving? Oh, it is. Um, it was just communicating to them. I mean, th- this year I, is uh, there's a bit bit more understanding now during. During the COVID time, we weren't raising rents on folks unless there was a turn, uh, unless they moved uh, and then it was a new tenant. But then after that, it was uh, in this last year was, hey, you know, um, it's we've gone a period of without raising rents. Uh, as everyone's seen that the, the um, prices that have increased our taxes, our insurance, uh, the material costs, labor. Um, so we are, are bringing it 
bringing you to close to market rent. We wanted to keep them a little bit under uh, as a thanks to just staying there. And the way that that was met was usually an angry phone call like, screw you, I'm moving. And then a week later when they went and looked and saw that they would be paying the same or more and it would make sense just to stay in, in the place that they know, uh, they came back and said, where do I sign? Got it. I, I had a feeling you were going in that direction. So when you say like a thousand fifty for the ones, twelve fifty for the twos, are people that are staying paying that, or, the, or for those are people that are brand new tenants, and and then the existing ones a little bit less than that, or I'm just curious to know just the flow of it. Uh, just a bit less than that, so probably uh, uh, would be going at like a thousand and and twelve hundred. Got it. So you say to them, hey, look, you know, we're charging brand new tenants this, but, you know, since you've been a good tenant for blah, 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 however many years, we're still kind of cutting you a little bit of a break. Exactly. Got it. All right. Well, very, very interesting. And so on on that deal, and I'm just going to isolate it because, you know, the the listeners and we don't have time to talk about every single deal, but, you know, five and a half, six million bucks, how much did you raise and how many investors are in it? Investors, I would say we're, we, we were doing $25,000 a share. Um, most popular share amount was probably like 50 and, uh, 50,000. Um, we were somewhere, we raised just a little north of 2 million. And that was through, uh, don't quote me on this, but probably about 40 investors. And how did you get all your investors? Uh, friends and family. We, we, um, we are, uh, so yeah, most of it with uh, friends and fa- family, and then it was through myself and my partner. I see. Uh, so we, yep. On the way to stabilization, which I would imagine you're probably still in that process. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess my question is: Has it cash flowed along the way, or uh, did it take a bit to get it to cash flow? Or uh, it's it's cash flow along the way. We had a baby. Uh, we've been distributing uh, once a quarter, and I think we had one or two quarters that we we couldn't do. We had a fire on uh, one of the buildings. So these seventy seven units are comprised of four buildings side by side, four buildings in a row on, on the same street, and the the one is an eight unit building, and it caught fire. It was a tenant that was uh, cooking late and fell asleep and then it just burned the place <laughs> up. <laughs> so was uh, the joy not the, a good situation. Yeah, the the joys of owning property. <laughs> yes. But as as uh, fellow investors said the first question is is everybody all right? And then friends would say um, congratulations because it now it is uh, it we were, we were properly insured. We had a great insurance carrier uh, company. They responded uh, very quickly and we were able to get that uh, property renovated uh, to brand new uh, everything on there. Because uh, we have law and ordinance um, coverage. So it had to be rebuilt to, co- to today's code. Um, so, and it was all one bedroom units and we were able to, to put on the rebuild two bedroom units within the budget that uh that the insurance company gave us i see so that that worked out to be a a happy ending um i i guess you know doing those kind of properties you know sounds like kind of 
really beautiful old buildings, like you said, charming New England. But yet also you kind of don't always know what you're getting into because they're old, right? And old systems and this and that. So I guess my question is, what would you what would you say you've learned about how to underwrite the CapEx part of these deals as you've gone along? Yeah, uh, to be... Um as conservative as possible on on heating systems, looking at uh, electrical, uh, where the location of electrical, and then plumbing becomes uh, the plumbing part of it becomes really challenging because that's just uh, uh, it's just looking for trying to have a, a more keen eye on what could be the, the, the issues there, being much more aware of where leaks are, where that's coming from. That is, uh, that's been our, our, our killer. I, I also look for um, laundry facilities on there and, the, and not so much as laundry facilities for additional cash, but it prevents the, um, I'm gonna buy a portable washing machine and hook it up to my sink and then go leave the property and then come back and that hose just ripped out and I just flooded, you know, my, my uh, neighbors downstairs and the floor below. That, that becomes our, one of our biggest issues. So, you know, when people think laundry facility, they just think, oh, that's, that's just extra cash flow. It's, to me, it's like in these type of buildings, I want that laundry, I want it in the basement, I want that accessible and then preventing tenants from doing any kind of hookup in, in their apartments. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty darn valuable lesson. My God, right? I mean, that's something to uh, not make a mistake on again. You know, when, when you're saying, you know, being more cautious or of, of leaks, you're saying that, that that's a, a killer. And, um, you know, I hear that about plumbing all the time. Is there anything more, you know, looking back, I guess, is there anything that could have been done better, more different by the people that inspected the buildings? No, we didn't. We uh, we didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah, you just don't know, right? You don't know what's behind the walls, and uh, there's there's. I guess you just the only thing you could do is just underwrite for it, and just be like you said, just have more reserves, just to plan for the unexpected. And uh, the ra- uh, radiator heating is is uh, has been a colossal pain. So that is something. If we see that, then we're looking that we're gonna we're gonna change that for hot water baseboard or some because those things they give off some really nice heat but they're dangerous you know for kids touching that stuff uh getting burned um and then they they fail and when they fail it it is they're ruining hardwood floors they're the water's getting behind the wall it's uh it's we spent a lot of time with that stuff and um that that is a kind of a big lesson for us. Okay, if it's got radiators, we're, we're going to write uh, underwrite for changing that out because th- this is going to be it's going to keep our maintenance guys busy, and we're just creating our own problems with it. Got it. Do you recall, Bob, on these buildings? You know the con the four buildings, uh, and it's a five and a half six million dollar deal. Do you recall what you kind of set aside? You know, before closing the deal, do you do you recall what you set aside lump sum for for uh, you know reserve capex? I believe it was two hundred thousand. 
got it. And, and, and do you think that that was more than you needed, less than you needed, or just exactly what you needed? So far, it's, it seems to be working well. Uh, that that is, uh, it was, it's enough with uh, some padding. Um, we still have some, uh, we have had another roof to do. And so, it, and then the cash flow is, has been uh, um, helpful there. Uh, so yeah, that has been good. Some other properties we 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 came in we we've come in a bit lower than than we what we had projected. I see, and I think that's part and parcel of you know doing this and learning. Did how how did you come up with two hundred grand? Was that was that part of a like a lender requirement, or how how did you how did you come up as opposed to three hundred or one fifty or whatever? My my, my partner is is really good at this and he's very conservative and and so uh um he's a cpa so he's he does the the modeling and and the the underwriting and so he was just kind of you know when we looked at the inspection report and seeing what what could be the potential issues here we were just putting numbers to those and knowing that we would have to do some roofs some porches uh eventually and then whether uh, we put some aside too, if we had to change on electrical. Good to have a CPA guy that has real estate experience. And then what approximately do you project out for returns for your investors? Our gate is 15% internal rate of return with a, a 10 year hold, 8% preferred return. And so we've, we've been hitting the 2% a quarter pretty regularly here. And, and I think this year is where we're, we, we'll most likely push past that. You know, eight percent. You're talking about eight percent cash on cash. If you're distributing two percent a quarter, I mean, that's that's exceptional. How long did it take to start uh, distributing that? For for this seventy seven units, it, it was it was pretty quick. It, it came probably the first distribution was two quarters after. It was six months after uh, we we bought it. We had a little bit of like a whole, uh, a pause when the, the, we had the fire just to make sure that we knew what, what was going to happen with the insurance company. We had, uh, insurance for lost rents. So it was, uh, that was the best performing building when it was empty in the, um, what do you call it? Uh, but then once we realized that we were getting the lost rents and those starting to come in, then, um, then we were able to resume on the, um, on the uh, uh, distribution. On the rents, you know, it sounds like it's a, you know, done a great job on it. On the rents, I'm hearing, you know, you and I both live in California where it's, everything is just absolutely over, you know, a two bedroom up here, even despite COVID and the work from home and the this and the that. I mean, a two bedroom apartment up here that you'd want to live in, and I'm not a renter, not that in touch with it, but I'm guessing at least 3,500. So I guess my question is at 1250, are you kind of, uh, I guess philosophically, the way you run your, your buildings, are you a little bit under market or you think you're right at market in, in you know, for a thousand fifty uh, one bedroom? Like you think you're right at market or you think you're leaving a little bit of meat on the bone to try to keep tenants longer? I guess what's your approach to that? I, I think the thousand fifty for new tenants and, and 
the property management company is always trying to push a little bit to see where it is. So some uh, they're, they're getting for some units, if it's like ground floor, uh, something 1100. But I, I think we're we are pretty close to market on, on the new folks and the new tenants. And then uh, we're, we're leaving some meat on the bone with uh, existing tenants. It's, it's much better to keep them uh, than, than go through a, a, a rehab. Sure. A turnover. How, how long does it take to find tenants when, when somebody vacates? This year has been, uh, it's, it hasn't taken any time at all. Uh, um, often it is, uh, and, and this is also to the, the rental season from some March to, to uh, about the end of July. Um, even even to, to September. Once you pass that, like it gets it gets a little harder, and, um, um, and then almost impossible in the winter. And, and we're very cautious about the winter. We there's sometimes that we just keep units empty because we're we're getting the we're we're trying to pick from the best of the worst. Yeah, I get it, man. It's so funny. It's just so foreign to. In California, right? But you really—that's what I've been told. Is like nobody, everybody goes into like hibernation. What would you say is your uh, the biggest challenge you're having now? Uh, staffing. It's uh, that that has been that's always been the challenge. Um, uh, we're we're very fortunate for the staff that we have now, but um, uh, if we don't find more, it's going to be it's going to be too taxing on them, and uh, and then. Then we're gonna leave. We're gonna lose the good ones. That seems to be ubiquitous. What would you say um, has been the most important lesson that you've learned over the last, well, I don't know, couple few years? Uh, the mantra with that I use with the, the the team is let's not create our own problems, and that is what I've learned through this: is things that uh, are ignored will always come back to to bite us. So let's take care of our tenants when they have a work order. Let's get on this. Let's communicate with them. And you got to communicate. They'll understand if, if something can't get done right away, but they need to know that. And when we don't do that, or if we do a bad job, then we are creating our own problems. And then we're, we're always chasing instead of being ahead. Yeah, so being proactive, huh? Yeah. Yeah, being well said. Being, being proactive. It's impressive because you've kind of like, you turn that corner from the single family world and you're really uh, kind of kicking butt and taking names and, and, and really getting into these, uh, you know, pretty significant multifamilies and uh, in a great market for cash flow and um, exciting. Bob, if one were to want to uh, kind of connect with you, how what would be the best way to do that? Uh, you can find uh, emails is great. Uh, Bob at cp-property group. Uh, I still answer my phone. So 310-922-5436. Uh, that's very important. I, I get shocked when, um, when when people don't don't pick up their phones or don't uh, call back. But hey, man, those are old school values. You know what? I don't get shocked because I'm so used to it. I get shocked when somebody does return my call or pick the phone up. <laughs> But I, I, 
I personally always return calls. I, I, I just feel that it's rude to do it and maybe I'm codependent or some something. But if, you know, I mean, you know, if somebody's calling me out of the cold to sell me insurance, yeah, no, am I returning that call? No. But if it's like a friend or somebody that's reaching out, you know, on a, something personal, whatever, I feel guilty not returning people's calls. I feel that it's just rude. But, you know, that's what people are today. People don't return emails. They just assume, okay, great. They don't say, okay, I got it or thank you or text it. The, the world is, it's, it's getting to be, uh, you know, manners are, are not the most important thing to a lot of people. But that's for another yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Roger. Well said. Bob, I appreciate it. And I look forward to doing it again. Roger, this was incredibly fun. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, it was a, a real pleasure to speak with you this morning. Yep, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Be well.